It's a beautiful day to say what you need to say. It's a beautiful day to say what you need to say. And I can lead the way. Welcome to Time Out with Ty, the less official podcast of Behind the Buck Pass. We're back for week three, episode three of Time Out with Ty. And on this beautiful Wednesday, I'm joined by our newest contributor at the site, Andrew Snyder. Andrew, how you doing? Great to be here. I just wanted to add another accent to the website. <laughs> we've got the, the Midwesterners. I don't know what Wisconsin's really called. And then we've got... Adam over there in Ireland, and I'm I'm from North Carolina, so I just wanted to bring some playing to the to the podcast. So glad to be here. I'm glad to have you. We needed some twang. This is what we were missing. I think we're finally going to hit our stride now. I think this is the week where this becomes knocks off Bill Simmons. This becomes the number one podcast on iTunes thanks to the twang. Yeah, I don't see any reason why that wouldn't happen. To be honest, I don't either. Um, so you're you're new to the site. Somewhat new to the Bucks, although I know you follow general NBA. I heard you've binge watched most of, most of the earlier Bucks games in like a week. Is that true? I have. I've been watching some of the, uh, I guess, condensed games and then some full games, and just trying to immerse myself in everything Bucks, just so I can get a feel for this team. And and it, it's not been a great experience so far. And the first game that I really sat down as a member of behind the Buck Pass and just watched them, they got absolutely murdered by the Indiana Pacers. So oh. I was feeling a little bad, but then, you know, they, they reeled it back in with the, with the win over the Pistons. So maybe I'm not a jinx. They did. Hopefully you're not. I, I was just going to say, I'm so sorry you had to watch all those games in a week because even though wins early in the season, it was like, really, we only won by however much over the Nets. We couldn't have beat the Nets by more. That was the feeling I had walking out of some of those games. The Pistons game was definitely different. We, we all wrote about or Adam, I should say, wrote about the three P's he was talking about, pace, power, and passing. And it seems like they did that, and the team played really well, and for once didn't. There was no point in which the team completely fell apart. I think I don't know if you could say that about any of the other games so far this season. It was definitely their most complete game. I mean, you can yeah. see that. And it's, it seemed like that was the first time that that the starting five in particular really gelled and looked like they felt good playing with each other. I don't know. I mean, obviously you've got some new pieces. Jabari Parker missed what 57 games last year. And Michael Carter Williams came in at the trade deadline. So this is really the first time this group has had time to get used to playing with with each other and forgot Greg Monroe. He's new obviously as well. So just, I mean, they were the, I guess the sexy pick to jump up the standings. And that's because they're clearly talented and have a very interesting young core. But it takes time to learn how to play with each other. I mean, what were the first LeBron, Bosch, Wade, Heat? They were, what, nine and eight at one point during uh, the first season they played together? So, like anything, it's going to take time to come together. And maybe we're starting to see that finally blossom and finally turn into the team that they can be going forward. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the LeBron Cavs, when he came back, I mean, that was a super team, too. Look at Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love. They didn't start out that hot either in, their, in last season, their first season together, although they're definitely looking a lot better now, even still without the whole team. The thing about the Bucks starting five is they've played less than five games together so far, I want to say. Yeah, Jabari was out. And then MCW was out for a little bit, I guess. And yeah. Just that's, – that's tough 
especially when you're trying to fit new pieces together. I can't imagine <laughs> what Jason Kidd's going through trying to figure out how to plan going forward when you, you haven't even seen your your supposed best five together on the court for only five games. That's tough. Yeah, that's the thing, right? In this offseason, it's like, well, we're, we're planning on all these things happening, and we have to build this team that's going to play 82 games together, plus hopefully some more in the playoffs. And, you know, two of the guys are 20 years old. One of them has played in 20 games with the team in MCW. One has never played with the team in Greg Monroe. And then Chris Middleton's been around for a little bit. It's like, ooh, like that, that's really hard to project who's going to fit well, you know, off the bench working with that team or even how those five guys are going to fit because you just haven't seen it. It's so new. Everything about this team is new. Right. You've also got uh, Gravis Vasquez. Yeah. Coming into the team, sort of acting as the third guard, guy off the bench, bring you a little offensive spark and run the offense. Maybe when MKG – or not MKG, MCW. Sorry, got, got a little Hornets there. MCW's throwing the ball into the second row like every trip down the court, and you're like, okay, I'm done with the turnovers. Let's put in Gravis and kind of – be a caretaker. He had his best game of the season or that I've seen anyway against the Pistons. Ten points, four for eight shooting. He looked good. And then you have Bayless coming in there, just pull up threes all day and just, I mean, when he's on point, he's one of the the most interesting books to watch, I think. I mean, his headband is just fantastic. <laughs> I know you have, a lot of, you have a lot of headband thoughts. Yeah, I do love headbands. I, I love gunners. I'm a gunner in my heart. Like, in pickup, I'll pull up from anywhere. So, Jay... Jared Bayless really just is a – he's really after my my own heart, so I got to gotta respect him. If he keeps playing like this all season, I think he's after everyone's heart. No one expected Jared Bayless to look like he has so far. This this whole Bucks point guard thing is really interesting right now because there's obviously Bayless, Vasquez, and MCW. There's also Tyler Ennis who didn't even suit up for the last game because there's just so many point guards on this team. I think there's a trade coming at some point because there's just too many and they're too valuable to keep them all. What do you think? I agree with that, especially maybe with Ennis if they don't feel like he's in their long-term plans. I mean, they could some team could use him as a backup point guard. I mean, he, he was very good at Syracuse. Maybe he's a little bit of a smaller guy, but he's a guy that's going to go out there, I guess, run the offense, not kill you too much with turnovers or bad shot selection, but – perhaps a bit of a def- defensive liability because of his size. But I think he's a player in the league, and if, if they have no use for him, they might as well test the waters on the market and see what they can get for him. And this is interesting. I hadn't really thought about that one yet. The guy I keep seeing in my head getting traded, though, is Jared Bayless. Because he's been so good, and he's so cheap, I want to say it's $3 million this year. I mean, a contender could really use a backup point guard who's going to shoot 45 or whatever crazy percent Bayless is at right now from three, who also is only going to cost them $3 million. But Ennis is definitely interesting, too. He's even cheaper. And, I mean, yeah, we've seen with Brandon Knight last season, the Bucks are not afraid to flip someone if they don't see him working out in the future. And he's- the Bayless thing is definitely interesting because you kind of have to wonder, if you're the Bucks, when is his <laughs> – star going to fall back to earth. I mean, I don't know if he's going to be a 46% three-point shooter going forward. So they might want to sort of strike while the iron's hot and dump him before he comes back to earth. Yeah, that's the thing. It definitely, I could see, I don't know if, if, I don't know how he's working out in OKC, but like if DJ Augustine's not good enough, I could see OKC go getting Bayless 
some some contender. I'm not exactly sure where yet. I was talking about this in another podcast. I just mentioned like the worst possible teams, but I'm sure there's a fit somewhere. Always, there's always every every contender needs another solid backup. It feels like no one's done yet, except maybe the Warriors, who are just the exception to every NBA rule. Yeah, they they're not even like they're just way out in Mars and we're over here on Earth. That's yeah. just, they're just crazy. Yeah. They're, they're on Mars. All the other teams are on Earth. The Nets are over in Pluto with the Sixers. It's just that I don't know what's going on. The Nets are at the center of the Earth, at their core, melting away. <laughs> they're just so awful to watch. But anyway, Bucks. Yeah, it's, it's not let's, good. Let's not get sad talking about teams that don't have draft picks for the next 30 years. Yeah, let's let's get happy and talk about a team who's been really good, and I thought they'd be terrible, and I'm going to eat crow for the second straight podcast. I didn't like the Hornets, and this is your team. You wrote about the Hawks at Sewing Down South. We already had a Hawks podcast. We, we got Adam just loving the Hawks enough already on here. I was going to use a couple different words. I didn't think either of them suited the podcast. Didn't want to go there. But let's talk Hornets. Let's talk Steve Clifford and Kemba Walker and this crazy team that just came back from a 27-point third-quarter deficit to beat the Kings. Yeah, I, as a native, lifelong North Carolinian, I am a – Hornets fan before that Bobcats and then before that Hornets so a lot of years of mediocre and then terrible basketball we've had two playoff runs in the last I guess seven or eight years so that was cool both sweeps anyway this year things have been great so I'm loving that I can't write about the Hornets because I feel like I'd I'd be too fanny or I'd go on insane rants about the team I didn't. I, I used to write for Swarm and Sting, and I didn't do that then. I did do a game recap against the Raptors, uh, where I made as many Drake references as possible. But we'll talk about that later. Yep. Anyway, 2015-2016 Hornets. Kimball Walker is having the best season of his career by far. He used to only make shots in the last two minutes, and now he's making shots all game, which is just a nice change. He's averaging 18.4 points per game. He's shooting. Over 40% from three, he's shooting, I guess, 46% from the field, which are way above his career averages. And he really looks like the guy they need him to be going forward. He's always been a streaky player. But I think playing on an above-average offensive team has really opened up the space for him to actually start playing to his potential. Because, I mean, you look at him and you're like, he looks like a good shooter. He looks the part. But he would always post these under 40% from the field seasons, 30% from three. And it's just like your eyes and the numbers are telling you two different things. And that's because he was just having to carry absolutely terrible offenses. And now that he's got creators on the floor with him like Nick Batum and uh, even Jeremy Lamb and Marvin Williams are having great years, he's finally able to kind of sit back and just fill his role. And he's been awesome at it this year. Yeah, I want to give I want to give credit to Kemba Walker, who's a guy I ragged on this off season. I think it was in our preview pod, our preview pods, I should say, for behind the buck pass. Whereas, like you said, he just he never had a good shooting season. He's he's erupted onto the scene of really good point guards with this. I mean, forty six forty for his shooting lines. That's really really good. And I also want to give props to Steve Clifford, who I heard was on the hot seat at one point. That's certainly not the case anymore for essentially just flipping around exactly what he tried to do with this team. I mean, Al Jefferson's still on the team. He's doing very well on this team, even though it's not running through him anymore. 
But this is a, a pace and space club now. They got what four guys shooting above forty percent from three. They're top six in the NBA and made threes per game. They're they're going full Warriors right now. Yeah, it's been really fun to watch because in the last five years or so, especially the Clifford era, is you're used to watching Charlotte sort of grind out games. That's how they made the playoffs two years ago. Slow it down. A lot of isolation on offense, a lot of dumping it down to Al Jefferson. And then on defense, just sort of sag into the paint, force all these teams to take a bunch of terrible contested two-point shots and win with your defense in games where both teams are shooting 35% in the field and it's 81 to 80 because Kimball Walker (laughs) made a buzzer beater. That's kind of been the Charlotte Hornets brain to basketball the last few years. And this year it's just completely flipped. I think they have the fourth best offensive rating in the league right now. And like you said, a lot of guys shooting great from outside. So it's been a big shift in their identity and it's paid off so far. They're eight and six. If season ended today, they'd be, in the playoffs, but I guess the log jam that is the middle of the Eastern Conference means that absolutely nothing is settled yet, obviously, yeah. in late November. And uh, for his efforts, Clifford was actually just rewarded with an extension today. So, yeah, I saw that like five hours ago. He just got himself extended. And that was that was huge because I've been joking with my friends that I was afraid that the Hornets were going to finish like 42-40 and 40 this year, just missed the playoffs, and Steve Clifford was going to get fired and win 53 games with the Rockets next year. So I was really worried about that. But looks like they've locked him down. And no matter how this year's, this year finishes, I think he's the coach for them moving forward. It's an organization that's really lacked stability, especially at the head coaching position. So now they've got that moving forward. Yeah, I mean, he definitely deserved this this uh, extension. Just looking at how good the Hornets have been on offense. Like you said, they're fourth in offensive rating with a team O rating of 107.1. They're th- or sixth in three-point rate with over 30% of their shots are threes. They're sixth in effective field goal percentage, 51%. First in turnover percentage at 11%. They take care of the ball. They make up, take and make a lot of threes and that's good offense in the NBA. I mean, I think that much is obvious by now. Just the one other number that really just is unbelievable on this team. Jeremy Lamb shooting almost 65% from two-point range this year. That's nuts. Lamb 65%? is – 65%? He's been a monster around the rim. He's, he's shooting around league average, I guess, 35% from three. So, I guess coming out of UConn, he was billed as more of a, a shooter than a scorer. But he's – since coming to Charlotte, he's been better at attacking the rim, uh, moving without the ball to get his points. So that's been a surprise, but a pleasant surprise. Yeah, I, I would take that on the Bucks if, if someone wants to shoot 65% from two and 53.6 from the field and be a guard, that'd be okay with me. Um, yeah, this is a fun team now. It wasn't before. I mean, even without MKG, which he got sadly, that was, was that preseason or like a scrimmage? Yeah, I think or, it was the second preseason game. He yeah. uh, might have been the first one. Went down, dislocated his shoulder, tore, I think, some ligaments or whatever's in your shoulder, <laughs> tore it all up, so out for the year. That's when I thought that their season was torpedoed. I was feeling pretty good about the roster up until that point, and then, boom, you lose your defensive anchor, and you just expect the, the team to be terrible. And the, the defense hasn't been good, so I, I guess that's where you really have to commend Clifford. He saw that he didn't have – MKG, and he completely went the other way. We're going to 
shoot, we're going to make a lot of three-pointers. We're not really going to defend that well. It's not for lack of trying. They just don't have good defensive players. Right. But they're winning with offense, and right now you just got to keep rolling with it, I think. I think that's really what sets aside good coaches from bad coaches is you can be a coach and you can have like the best scheme available or like even possible. But if you try to run it, even though your personnel doesn't fit it, it's not going to go well. Like the good coaches, the really good ones, they don't look at what, like what they can draw up. They look at what they have in their team first. And then from there go, Oh, okay. So we have Kemba Walker, Nick Batum, Jeremy Lin, Jeremy Lamb. Let's go score some points. And Al Jefferson, of course. Like, let's go score some points. Let's be top five offensive rating in the NBA. That's how we're going to win games. And that's what they've done. And it's worked really, really well. So definitely Clifford deserved that extension big time. There's just one more Hornet I want to talk about just because of the Wisconsin connection we got here. You guys had probably the most controversial move of the draft, maybe outside of the Lakers taking Russell. But it might be the most controversial in turning down 9,000 draft picks from the Boston Celtics to take Frank Kaminsky. How's Frank the Tank been? You know what? I'll, I'll go into my feelings of the draft pick at the time in a minute, but Frank has been really good. He hasn't gotten a lot of time, but when he's in there, he looks like he's finally starting to figure things out. He's not great around the rim so far. His field goal percentage is 45%, but he's shooting 47% from outside. And it feels like he's really starting to figure out how to defend NBA power forwards and centers, which was always going to be his biggest adjustment. He was a very good defensive player in college just because he was taller than a lot of guys, and also he's just a very smart basketball player. But the athleticism and the size of guys, primarily the strength of guys he was going to have to go up against in the NBA kind of worried me going into the season, but he's looked good lately. Um, in that comeback against the Kings, he had nine points, five boards, really defended Rudy Gay well. Clifford put him out there during crunch time and during overtime during their comeback, and he was playing well, so he just left him in there, and he played great. So I think Frank's really starting to kind of come into his own as an NBA player, and I feel like he's going to be a good piece moving forward when he was drafted on. I was upset and thought that it was a waste of a pick, but maybe Rich Cho and MJ finally got one right. Do you see him as more of a power forward or a center? Because I always look at him and I think small ball center. Yeah, I definitely could see that. Next year when they probably let Al Jefferson walk, I could see a a starting front court of Cody Zeller and Frank Kaminsky with Frank as the the center, kind of a guy that can – step outside, knock down threes, spread the floor, not kill you on defense, but not, not really going to be a rim protector. Do you want to hear my fun small ball starting five I'd like to see Charlotte use sometimes? I'm, I'm stoked for this. I want to see Kemba Walker, Nick Batum, MKG, Marvin Williams, and Frank the Tank. Okay, I can see that. I like that. You got some shooting with Kemba, now that he's a shooter, uh, Batum yeah. and Marvin and Frank, and then it's kind of like reverse small ball where one of your wings can't really shoot. So yeah. your, your, I guess defensive anchor is MKG. And then you've got shooters down low and shooters up top. So I, that's, that one's blowing my mind and I wish we could see it this season, but yeah, I hope, you know. I, I really hope MKG comes back strong. I really like him. He is a fun player, plays hard and he, he's turned himself into a pretty decent offensive player. He can, 
he can't shoot, but he can get to the rim. He's actually become a better foul shooter over the last few seasons. So I think when he comes back next year, they'll obviously have to decide what they want to do with Batum and Jefferson, but they have a core going forward of Kemba, Lamb, I guess, uh, MKG, Zeller, and Kaminsky now. And I, I like the way – I like where this franchise is headed, and I would not have said that um, after last season. The really exciting thing I think about the Hornets is they're definitely going in the right direction. They don't have that much money tied up in anyone, especially after Jefferson's off the books. Kemba got his contract, but I, I think it was a few years ago. I don't think it's that much per season. I could be wrong. I don't know. I don't have the exact figures in front of me, but after I think the cap jump, it looks it's a very reasonable deal, especially if he plays anywhere close to the way he's played this season. Same thing with Lamb. I think his is around seven million a season, and when they gave him that deal, I was a little concerned. And now he's proven to be a nice little energy guy off the bench, so that seems to have worked out as well. And then MKG's extension, obviously, he's a guy you want on your team. So all all the money they have long term going forward are reasonable contracts, and with guys who you really want to see them build around. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking right now at their whole team thing. So Al Jefferson, Nick Batu, Marvin Williams are all up after this year. Those are all guys that have to make decisions on. Kemba Walker, 12 a year flat for the next three after this one. That's not bad at all, especially if he keeps up that production. MKG, 13 flat over the next four. Also not bad, considering he's a complete defensive stopper. Otherwise, all they have on the books is Spencer Hawes for $5.7 million, Cody Zeller for 5.3, Kaminsky for 2.7, and Jeremy Lin for 2.2. They only have $41 million right now tied up next year. The cap's going to be $80 million. So they're going to have a lot of room to play with, which is really good for them considering they're going to do well this year. And we saw the Bucks with Greg Monroe. If you play really well and you have the room, you, you can probably go get yourself a missing piece. It makes it a lot easier. I've always expected them to throw out a max offer at Harrison Barnes and make the Warriors match it. And I just have a feeling they're going to do that. I think the Warriors will match it, but that's kind of a risk that you wouldn't mind seeing a team like Charlotte take. We don't really know if Barnes is the type of guy to be a first or second scoring option because he's on a team with such great players, but that's a risk you take when you're the Hornets, but obviously I think Golden State matches. And if something like that happens, I think the Hornets might uh, max out Batum just because of how important he's been to their transformation this year. Well, they'll have twenty. They'll have forty million to throw around at least. Do you want to hear my fun pick that they might go after an unrestricted guy that's really going to piss off Adam McGee? Now I'm really excited. Al Horford. Al Horford's up after this year. I want to say. I would chip in, maybe <laughs> like three months of my yearly salary to plan a parade in the city of Charlotte if they signed Al Horford. I feel like Al Horford would be a really fun fit on this team. Al Horford would be the best fit on this team. The new small ball Hornets shooting oh three five positions. All right, now you've got me on board with this. I'm probably fired from behind the buck pass now that I'm so excited about this. Sorry, no, Adam. Just go with it. Just go with it. It's fine. I'll get fired first. If I get fired, then you know you have to start acting in line. That's 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 the barometer. I, I still am active 
staff writer at Soaring Down South as well. So I'm going to get two fi- fired from two sites because of my. There you go. I'm going because I'm going to start a Al Horford to Charlotte campaign. I'm getting billboards made up. I need to I need to make some calls after this. See who I can find out to make that happen. I'll, I'll let you know. I'm looking into the same thing because I'm trying to head up the Mike Conley to Milwaukee bandwagon, and it's the same thing where. I don't, I don't really think they're going to do it, but I really, really want them to at least try very hard. That's what I want to see the Hornets do for Al Horford. Just go, look, Al, we already have a good center named Al, but you're a better center named Al. Imagine what this team with the worst center named Al could do with the better Al at center. And he just go, well, you blew me away. You're right. I, I can fill that Al's shoes. Let's do it. I mean, all the, uh, the public address scripts that say Big Al – we They're can fine. reuse those. They're fine. All the painters yeah. replace the picture. Big Al, new Big Al. I mean, I I'm on board with this. It's it's economical, first of all, and second yeah. of all, the Hornets would rule the Eastern Conference. Probably not. They probably get like the fourth seed. But you know what? After two Thanks. sweeps at the hands of the Orlando Magic and the Miami Heat, and our only two playoff appearances, I just I just want a game. Just give me a game in the first round. I'm not I greedy. Don't... I think they'd probably be a top three seed with that team. Kemba Walker, if he stays how he is, I'm guessing they'd re-sign Nick Batum. MKG, uh, I don't know if they keep Marvin Williams, but Cody Zeller or Frank Kaminsky or Spencer Hawes, who's somehow still on the NBA team. And Al Horford, that's a really good team. I mean, Al Horford's one of those guys where you could put him on pretty much literally any team and he'd make the team better. Like, he does whatever you need him to do, and he does everything so well. Oh, you want me to set screens? I'll do that. You want me to knock down threes now? I'll do that. You want me to lock down the ball? Defense? He does lockdown all of that. Defense? Sure, I'll play lockdown defense. Why not? I'm Al Horford. He's, He's one of Swiss, my favorite guys. Swiss Army knife of NBA players. Al Horford. So Al Horford to Charlotte and Mike Conley to Milwaukee. I think these are movements that everyone except Adam can get behind. I'm going to text MJ, see what he's doing. See if he yeah. wants to play golf, talk it over with him. Yeah. Bring out Horford. Start wooing him over right away. Yeah, he doesn't have anything to do next week. No, I mean, he, if he I was, mean, well, he can't miss Monday's game because Young Jeezy's performing. So that that's oh, off the book, off the table. But oh, I'll yeah. I'll find a way. The, the Hawks are such a cool team. They really, I mean, Young Jeezy. They had Tinder night last year. I think they had uh, they had two chains night too, didn't they? I think he's involved with the team somehow, and some I think you're right. Capacity. Is he like their Drake? Maybe I don't know. I think they have like five of those. Five Atlanta, such, yeah, they have so many. They have Young Jeezy. I mean, they got Dominique Wilkins does the broadcast, so he's there every single day. If you power ranked NBA teams based on the rappers that come from their city, I think Atlanta would be top three. Yeah, I mean. Especially if you count the rappers that go through the city, just to go through like Magic City or whatever, I think they'd, they'd easily be top three. Probably what like L.A. team, some some combination of the Lakers and Clippers would probably be one. Yep. And then New Definitely. York, New York maybe for two. Absolutely. See, you don't get this kind of uh, piping hot content on ESPN. Like you just don't. No, no, they don't. They don't know about the differences between. Rappers who come from NBA cities. Does does Toronto make the top five just because of Drake? I mean, for me, yes, but I'm like a five foot eight white guy from from North Carolina, so I'm very small percentage of the of the rap buying marketplace. I don't know so about that, that could, anymore. That's true. He's he's changed the game. 
Yeah. The Hotline Bling video was the that that's the turning point in rap and pop culture. It's a, it's uh it's yeah, everything's different now. Everything's way different now. It's it's crazy how far things have come. I'd put Toronto in the top five too. I'm a six foot zero white guy from Wisconsin. So I don't I don't know how indicative I am of the market. But I mean just having right now Drake is one of the most popular rappers to ever be around. I mean he's at he's in the stratosphere now. In the way any song he's on is pretty much guaranteed to to jump in like the top five songs out. Like unrelated, but I think you can tell like how far rap has shifted in the last twenty five years based on the diss tracks. Yeah. The most recent diss track most popular is back to back. Great song. But when you compare it to Hit 'em Up and Ether, I think I think we've gone soft. And and that's okay. I mean, things change. I mean it reflects sports too, right? Like back in the day, like athletes hated each other. Like you wouldn't you wouldn't talk to or hang out with other players. And now they like all hang out after games and go to the now club. they're Chris Paul and Wade and LeBron are riding banana boat <laughs> hanging yeah. out in the Bahamas. Yeah, the, the banana boat was so. I, I looked at that and I was just like, "Wow, this is where we are now." Like Larry Bird and Michael Jordan used to like make people cry, and now now we're here. Larry Bird would not be caught dead on a banana boat. I can I can guarantee you this. No, there's no chance, Larry Bird. The only boat Larry Bird would be on is like a fishing boat that he's the captain of because he wants to make more money and eat fresh fish in the off season. I think that's the next step for Larry Bird. I think that's I mean, the next, yeah, Captain shrimp, Bird. Shrimp boat Captain Bird. <laughs> you can bring Bubba and uh, and Forrest with him. I'm happy how far this has gotten off the rails. This is impressive. I am too. This is what I wanted with this podcast. This is the time out. This is where we can be a little less serious at times. This is, this is behind the buck pass after dark. At- <laughs> yeah. Two forty yeah. Eastern time, one forty Central. We're we're bringing it to you. Um, so who do the Bucks have next? Who do they got next on the schedule? They got Kings tonight, which is Wednesday night. If you're listening to this and you're not special enough to have exclusive access to listen to it early, which is everyone. So the Kings at home. I feel like this is a game. Like you don't have must win games in November, but this is a game you want to have if you're if you're Milwaukee. Especially since there's a fair chance they haven't said anything yet. There's a fair chance Boogie Cousins doesn't play. Oh yeah, it looks like a, a back strength for Boogie. He's Boogie just can't. Thing. Boogie just can't have nice things. I we, I've gone over it already in a pot. I don't want to do it again. Just because I I do have Kings friends and I feel, I do feel for them. I don't think he's going to end the season there, and then he'll be able to have nice things when he's a, a Celtic, which is so inevitable at this point. But um. Yeah, it's it's rough for them. I mean, they got Rondo playing like Boston Rondo. He's getting triple doubles. He had 20 assists in his last game. Just nuts. They got a Boogie. He'll go 13-12 in like six every single game. And they're still 5-8. and eight. And it's like, come on. I mean, you got to start winning eventually. Like, there's a time where you can't just say, oh, we're still rebuilding. Like, you need they, – they need to win this season. It's such a bummer because as just a fan of the NBA, I like seeing – great players have great team success. And, I mean, imagine seeing Boogie versus Anthony Davis in the playoffs. Like, that would be so entertaining from just a general fan standpoint. And it looks like we're never going to see that because if he's on the Kings, we just have to assume they're not making the playoffs. And it's crazy, especially because you look at the roster and you take out all of the the melodrama and the stuff with George Carl, 
And it doesn't seem like that bad of a roster, especially with the way Rondo's playing now. You've got Rondo, you've got Boogie, Rudy Gay, Bellinelli can come in and knock down shots. Costa Kufus um, off the bench, who's always been one of the most solid players in the entire NBA. Yes, Kufus is – I read about Memphis a little bit last season for Hoops Habit, and Kufus was one of my pet players. Just a very solid defensive player, sets good screens, good rim runner. And Ben McLemore – Solid young player shooting 43% from outside this season. Willie Cauley-Stein, a budding rim-protecting monster, can switch and guard all five positions. So they've got a, a solid roster on paper, and it just does not seem to be panning out. And I don't know if that's because everyone hates George Carl or or what. Who knows what's going on there. George Carl's like the opposite of Jason Kidd in that he's probably the most open head coach I've ever encountered in basketball. Like, after the loss against the Hornets, where they just I, – I mean, okay, yes, the Hornets are good. You can't entirely say it was only the Hornets. Like, there was no failure on the Kings' part if you let a 19-point lead go in the fourth quarter. Like, that's – you can't do that if you're playing adequate basketball. That, that was a collapse. And props to the Hornets for taking advantage, which is not easy to do. They deserve credit for the win, but the Kings also deserve to lose credit for the loss. And they, they talked to George Carl after the game, of course, and he goes, yeah, you know, looking back, I probably should have substituted more in that fourth quarter because he just didn't play Willie Cauley-Stein, and there were a lot of layups, and I guess there was a game-winning layup. He's like, yeah, maybe I should have substituted more, you know, maybe played Willie Cauley-Stein more, maybe played Ben Backlamore a little more. And it's like most coaches don't, like, go into the things they did wrong, especially if they were that obvious. I don't know if that's going to work out for him or not. I don't know how I feel about that. So, like, oh, yeah, I forgot to sub. Whoops. Sorry. We lost that one. I forgot we had a bench. I just got so enraptured in the game. Like, I don't know if you should say all that to the reporters. I appreciate his honesty, but it's not great going forward for the Kings as a team if your coach is going to be doing things like that. I kind of rank – I say kind of a lot also. I rank uh, NBA head coaches based on how you adjust in-game. Yeah. And I've never really thought of Carl as a guy – who's great at adjusting and changing the way his team plays based on either personnel or situations. I haven't watched a lot of his teams (laughs) until he got to uh, Denver and um, Sacramento, but he doesn't seem to be a guy who's going to just like change things around mid game or mid season and plug something in or do something that's going to turn you around. He just doesn't seem like that kind of guy. He's not an adjustment coach like a Brad Stevens or a Popovich. He seems like a coach that runs his system, and when he's got his players and when things are going well, especially in Denver when they just ran teams out of the gym using that high altitude to their advantage, it's going to work for him. But then when he's got players that don't fit what he wants to do, it's going to be a struggle like in Sacramento. I'm glad we're talking about coaches and ranking coaches right now. I agree on Carl, by the way. I really wanted to get to Jason Kidd, and, and we're here now. As you, you're more of an outsider here, as opposed to the last two guys I've had on, Adam, who's more of an outsider, but he's entrenched in the Bucks community. I mean, he's been writing every day about the team since January now. You're, you have not been. I think you have one article so far in. Yes, and so, possibly a second tomorrow. Stay tuned. Oh, oh, so that would be yesterday on the pod, but possibly a second article by the time this goes up. But either way, the, the point is. You just, you've sort of just dipped your toes in. You're still looking in the water, whereas the rest of us are like knee-deep in it, if not neck-deep in it. 
How do you look at Jason Kidd? Like, what do you see when you look at Jason Kidd, both in-game and in, in availabilities with the media? In-game, I just don't know. Like with Carl, I don't know if he's the type of coach who's going to make adjustments on the fly and help you win that way. I've always viewed him as the type of coach who maybe is better with the players one-on-one, is helping them with things during practice, Maybe I'm just assuming too much because I'm assuming he's relating to them on a level of I played the game. Here's what you need to know about this situation and that situation. But I'm not sure if he's really the best at in-game adjustments. That's a small sample size based on what I've seen and that time in Brooklyn where he knocked that water onto the court. But Oh, my God. That was, <laughs> oh. I don't think he's a bad coach necessarily, but I'm not putting him up there with – Stevens, Popovich, Rick Carlisle, or anybody like that. Yeah, that's how I feel about it, too. Um, I'm worried about the long-term fortunes of this team if the owners are so dedicated to Kid, because I'm I, I'm not sure he's – I don't want to say good enough. I'm not sure he's great enough to make this team from a good team into a great team, if that makes sense. And people – Underrate coaching a lot, which I think is dumb. Because if you look at the last however many title winners, you got Steve Kerr, who's proven to be one of the best adjustment makers, despite being a rookie coach last season. I mean, the starting Draymond at center and giving Iguodala the bench in favor of Harrison Barnes. I mean, those are those are pro moves. Before that, Popovich, you don't even need to say anything. He's obviously the best. Before that. Eric Spolstra, who's off, who's really underrated as a coach, a very good coach over in Miami. I think before that, Spolstra again, then Popovich again, then Carlisle. You have to be a good coach to win an NBA Finals. I, I don't know if the Cavs will go with David Blatt, not because he's a bad coach, just because I don't know if he has the full control of that team right well, now. That's yeah, a whole other issue. That's Coach LeBron James over there. So Yeah, that's true. That's Coach LeBron James. David, so we'll see David Blatt is is his second assistant. You've got LeBron, then you got Tyron Lue, and then you got David Blatt over there looking like a vampire. Yeah, I'd love David Blatt to be the coach of the Bucks. I feel like David Blatt would be a great coach for a young team. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I feel like he needs a team that he really has ownership of, and he just does not have that in Cleveland. Yeah, I feel so bad for that guy because he came over before LeBron came back. Like, there was speculation, but it was far from a sure thing that LeBron James would be on that team. That was Andrew Wiggins' and Kyrie Irving's team when David Blatt was hired. So he he must have thought he wanted a young team, too, because that's what that was. That was a, a growth team. And then all of a sudden, you're on a team where Kevin Love and LeBron James are the guys, and Kyrie Irving, of course, too. And suddenly, it's we got to win a championship right now because LeBron's 30 and he's having a midlife crisis. And he, that really, been- he really is. He really is. I mean, the, the, the point stash, I don't know if I'll have to blur that or not. I'm going to have to talk with some people about me saying <laughs> point stash on the podcast. But that, that thing is incredible. I'm a big fan of the stash. Um, but, yeah, he's he – He just his, walked off the court the other night, didn't he? Did just he? Like, I think he did, yeah. He, like, left them with four players. He's just like, I'm, I'm going to go get an espresso <laughs> or something. His outfits will be getting more and more out there, too. He'll wear, like, these big floppy hats and leather jackets and – I like LeBron a lot, but he's he's out there sometimes some games. Yeah, I dig the weird vibe, but maybe maybe he's going a little crazy. I don't know. He Things are going be. well in Cleveland, but anyway. He's going MCW hair. He's just out of control at this point. Yeah, I got a lot of respect for that hair. 
It's, it's I've, I've, there's so many questionable hair choices on the Bucks this year because Jabari had the, the beautiful long locks and he, he sheared them down and got Complex to do an article. When's the last time Complex cared enough about the Bucks to do an article about a player's hairstyle? See, now that's when you know you've made it. That is when – I mean, that's when you know your team is at least more noticed. There were years when Complex would probably just not mention the Bucks at all in any of their coverage. My piece tomorrow is actually going to be on Jabari Parker and Ooh. just how much I like love the way he fits and will fit when he gets his legs under him and he gets chemistry with his teammates. I just think he's – I don't know if he's going to be a superstar like Wiggins looks like he's going to be or Porzingis or Towns, but I think for this team going forward, he just fits a role so perfectly and is going to be a fan favorite. That's just my thoughts on that. I agree with that. I think they made the definite right call in that draft because Wiggins might turn out to be better. He looks astounding. But to be fair to Jabari, Wiggins has had triple the games to do that in that Jabari has had. But um, exactly. He's basically a rookie again. Oh, he's he's less than a rookie. I mean, he's only got – still, I don't think he's played 30 NBA games. He might have just hit 30 by the time this airs. But he, he's barely – he's, he's an NBA baby. He just doesn't seem like he's been around. You know, he's been on the bench. He's been doing interviews the whole time, working out, whatever. But, yeah, he's he's a, he's a little NBA toddler. I mean, he's barely played more games than rookies now, like Kristaps Porzingis and Towns and Okafor. Is this the best rookie class in a really long time? Oh, I love this rookie class. This rookie class is outstanding. It feels like no one even talks about Okafor because he's banished to Siberia <laughs> playing for a team that is actively trying to lose basketball games. But he's been great. He can, I mean, just get him the ball in the low block. He's going to put it in the basket. That's just what he does. I'm as a North Carolinian, I saw him a lot at Duke, so it's nothing, nothing new for me. And then you've got Porzingis, who looks like he's going to be an insane stretch five that protects the rim, makes threes, throws down crazy putback dunks. And then you've got Carl Anthony Towns, who's turned into a very good mid range shooter probably can step back and make the three at some point. Great defensive player. They're just so fun and so good so early that I think this is definitely the best rookie class in five years. How many? How long? When was the last time we had a class like this? Would it be the the 03 class? Well, that was – I think that class – I don't know if you want to compare anything to that class just yet, but (laughs) I think this might be the best class since that one already from early looks. I mean – how good has Carl Anthony Towns been as a rookie? 15.3 points, 9.8 rebounds, 2.4 blocks, one assist, and 0.7 steals per game. Through 14 games, he's almost averaging a double-double on 51% from the field. Like, that's insane. That doesn't even make sense for a rookie. Most rookies are, like, 12 points. Like, you can see generational talent as a rookie, and they'll score, like, 11 points a game. That's just how things usually go. This class is just, like, jump-started. doesn't make any sense. I mean, you didn't even talk about D'Angelo Russell's having his struggles right now, but he still looks like he's going to be a really good point guard. Moutier looks really good. Uh, Collie Stein looks like he might be one of the best defenders ever at some point. He's not there yet, but he could certainly develop into that. Even lower down. I mean, Rashad Vaughn on the Bucks hasn't gotten time, but when he has, he looks like a great scorer. I mean, this draft is nuts. Bobby Portis. I'm really upset at all the the Russell hate so far. Mainly, yeah. well, I have a lot of I have a few Lakers fans friends, and they're just panicking. But I feel like anytime you're coached by 
by late period Byron Scott. That's what I'm calling him because he seems late to have period, late period bias. Gone off the deep end. Like that's basically like playing without a head coach or with with just a really antagonistic head coach that seems to be openly hostile towards your success and development as a basketball player, which is weird. Maybe Byron's like, I'm not going to be around by the time these guys are good, so I'm just going to be terrible to- towards ah, them. Yeah. Like, I just don't get it. I don't understand how Kobe taking 14 sh- shots a night and benching D'Angelo in the fourth quarter because he turned the ball over is helping your young players develop. But, hey, I, I'm not a doctor, so I don't, I don't know these things. I'm not a doctor either, but the worst thing about Byron Scott is he act, he absolutely doubles down on his terrible decision-making. Like, he'll come out and be like, yeah, well, Kobe's earned the right to take all these shots, and D'Angelo Russell hasn't. Like, what does that mean? He hasn't earned anything this season. He's the worst starter in the NBA. He's earned the bench. Let your young guys play. What are you doing? The fact that this team is not starting D'Angelo Russell, Jordan Clarkson, uh, I guess Swaggy P, they don't really have options. Uh, Randall and and uh, Hibbert is nuts to me. Like that's the obvious starting lineup to me out of out of this five out of this team. And they're just they're just like no, we're gonna play Kobe and Swaggy P, and we're just not gonna make sense. Why did they sign Lou Williams? That still doesn't. Matter. Why did Lou Williams sign there? Nothing about this team makes sense to me. Two girls, and they get along. Like how Blue will. Yeah. I, heard, I heard one of the girls broke up with him. Oh, well, I mean, that's going to happen. Playing with fire oh. there. Yeah. I mean, he, he might do it again. He's in L.A. now. He's certainly got a lot of females to choose from if he wants to try and date some more of them. Whatever he needs to do to get him back on his game, maybe that's what's causing problems. I don't think you're going to have anyone have a good season in, in, on the Lakers this season. I wanted to say in L.A., but Blake plays in L.A., and he's going to have a hell of a season no matter what. That's true. Um, so last night the Lakers played the Warriors. Yeah, I, I, I watched I could, this game. I couldn't watch the game. I was I was watching college basketball, North Carolina, Kansas State, um, so I missed it. And then I look at the box score this morning, and I see Kobe shot one for 14 – Yep, and I know Kobe. I guess he spent some time in Italy, where, where his dad played there, and he's kind of big into soccer. So was he using his feet last night, or because <laughs> I was just shocked to see that one for fourteen, like that that blew my mind. Because after you're one for ten, maybe you just okay, I'm gonna stop shooting. But I guess Kobe, he's he's not he's steering into that skid, and he's he's ready to drive straight into the ditch. I watched this game. Um, I write at Hoops Habit now, too, and uh, I wanted to write about the Warriors doing that. And I ended up writing about just how this is the death of hero ball, that game. Kobe went one for 14. You're exactly right. His only made shot was a three, funny enough. One for seven seven from three-point territory. Pace and space, baby. Yeah, pace and space. He, um, He did that in three quarters, by the way. He didn't play in the fourth, I don't think. So he took about five shots a quarter making one of them in total. And he only finished with like two assists. And it was just like the Warriors made 42 shots and had 35 assists, I want to, or no, 32 assists, I want to say. And the Lakers made like 35 shots and had 16 assists. They literally doubled their assists. And that just shows like that that's basketball you need to play in today's NBA to win games. I mean, the last two teams to win a title both led the NBA in assists, the Warriors and then the Spurs. The Warriors are leading the NBA in assists and wins right now. You got to pass the ball. Kobe kept isoing. They kept missing. 
for obvious reasons. It, it doesn't work that well. Plus, he's you know thirty eight. It's it was ugly. It, it wasn't even that fun to watch because the Warriors pulled up to like a twenty point lead in the first quarter and never gave it up. So it was like, ouch. Like really, this is this is what all the Lakers can bring with the. They don't have the worst players in the league. They're not Brooklyn. They should be better than this, but they're just not. Yeah, I don't know if it's coaching, playing style. Like, I don't know what it is. I, or one of the things is obviously having the best player on your team or who your coach is saying is the best player on your team. Yeah, yeah, different things. And it's kind of sad. I've never been a Cubby fan, but I don't like seeing – like, I don't like seeing a rabid dog chewing on its own leg for 82 games. That was probably the, the best southern twang analogy I could have even thought of to describe that. That, that was beautiful. You I don't require to watch Old Yeller at least once a year if you live <laughs> below the Mason-Dixon line. So I had to break that out for you. I also had some sweet tea at lunch, so maybe that's oh, got, me, got me buzzing. I'm, I'm, I'm loving this podcast right now. Um, <laughs> we're almost up to time, but we got a little bit more left. I feel like the most graceful veteran right now is either Kevin Garnett or Paul Pierce. Absolutely. Both of uh, those guys absolutely embrace being an old man, and they just own it. Garnett's whole thing about being in Minnesota is, I'm going to show these young guys how to play in the NBA. I'm going to show them how to be pros. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to mentor them. I think ESPN actually had a pretty cool piece on this in the mag this week. I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to check that out. And talking about his leadership and how he's kind of being harsh on the guys, but also they respect him and they're learning from him. Whereas I feel like Kobe's not embraced that at all. No, and he's in such an ideal position to him. He's got two promising young guards. Jordan Clarkson was some sort of all-rookie team last season. D'Angelo Russell has the potential to be this year. I think you can look at the polar opposites here, not just in the two old guys, but the two young guys. And that Russell doesn't isn't getting help by Kobe. He's not playing in the fourth quarter. He's struggling a bit. I don't think it's it's just a coincidence that Carl Anthony Towns gets to get mentored by KG and is having one of the best rookie seasons ever. I, I don't think that just happened. Those, those things are are unrelated. I think without KG, I don't know if Carl Anthony Towns is averaging fifteen and ten on those crazy numbers like he's doing. I think that makes a huge difference. And I think KG not just not just helping now, but going forward, he's really helping pave the road to this team in Minnesota to be a powerhouse. And it looks like they're gonna they're gonna do that. I mean, they got Wiggins and Towns. In five years, you could probably surround those two guys with the role players and have yourself a, a contending team. Definitely, and I think uh, I guess I've heard rumors, or everyone's heard rumors, that eventually KG is gonna transition into maybe ownership. So whatever ownership group comes together to purchase them, we'll probably try and have Garnett involved. And I think that's a great next step for him to still be around these guys, even after he retires and still be a mentor as they develop and turn into maybe one of the better teams in the Western conference. Absolutely. I think that I've heard that too. And they've obviously tragically have a, a coaching a coaching opening right now. I think they're gonna let Sam Mitchell end the season. But um Oh yeah. That that makes sense. I don't think necessarily he's the guy to get the most out of them for their career. I don't think he's the guy to take them to the next step, but with the situation with Flip Saunders passing away, 
I think it's only right to let Mitchell finish out the season. Yeah, I do too. And the only tough thing about it is, and this is sort of ties in Bucks to the end here, is that there's a lot of really good qualified head coaches who are sitting on their couches right now. Like, it must be hard for them because Sam Mitchell, I mean, uh, of course, you have to respect the gravity of that situation with Saunders passing away. He's not a very great coach. He matched up Andre Miller on Steph Curry for multiple (laughs) minutes, and that went as predicted. But, I mean, when you got Tom Thibodeau, you got now Kevin McHale, you got um, Scott Brooks, who is maligned in the NBA community. But if you want a guy who can develop and manage superstars without having any discontent in the locker room, I don't know if you can go to a better guy than Scott Brooks. I think he does that very well. It, it must be tough for them. It's tough for me as a Bucks fan to look at kid not making adjustments sometimes and think like, and, and the defense, especially how bad the defense has been, and think like, we, we could have Tibbs here. We could have a Tibbs defense and have everyone play 90 minutes a game. <laughs> I actually think he would be a great fit in Milwaukee. I mean, all the players are are young right now, so you can play them 42 minutes a game, and then in five years they'll have to retire, but it'll be a great five years. <laughs> you know where I see Tibbs going? Houston. That's I actually had that conversation with someone this morning, and I think that would be a very interesting fit for them. They're ready for him. Harden's already playing like 42 minutes a game, but that's what they need. They need defense and structure and, and a hard ass, and that's what Tibbs is. Because – you have to think that either Harden will buy in and play the defense Tibbs wants him to, or Tibbs will snap and just kill him in practice. So, I mean, that's going to work itself out one way or the other. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, the issue might not come out the way Houston wants it to, but it'll get resolved. And you can't ask for more than that. Who's the next head coach to get fired? Oh, it's <laughs> – would, would the Sixers fire Brett Brown? That'd be so mean. That's that, like that'd be dumb. I don't. I don't think they could. I don't think I don't, they have a good person to replace him. And I think that would just kill their credibility with any qualified candidates. Like, well, you gave me McDonald's hamburger meat to cook with, and then you asked me to make filet mignon. And right. why are you surprised that it turned out this way? And they wanted to lose, so they're happy with him. So it's not going to be Brett Brown. It's got to be. It's got to be Byron. Or I, I, I see Carl first, just because. King's ownership or King's ownership is unpredictable, unstable, and sort of insane. Just the way they run they've been running that team. Lakers ownership is dumb, but committed to what they do. And I don't know if they're gonna get rid of Byron. I think they want that draft pick. Yeah, I think they do too. And a lot of the teams having bad seasons right now are teams with new coaches and then teams with coaches that I feel like would be safe. Like Terry Stotts, he's not going anywhere. He's proven he's a he's a pretty good coach. Alvin Gentry's not going anywhere. Maybe Lionel Hollins. Yeah, um, that could that could be a thing, maybe. Not gonna be Scott Skiles, not gonna be No. You can't you can't fire someone you just hired. You just can't do it. Right. Alvin Gentry, I mean that team's been terrible, but this literally everyone's been injured, I want to say, on that roster at some point. So that's I, just brutal luck coming in here. Is. First season with the team. Yeah, Anthony Davis's first year of his super max extension, I think, too. I'm thinking across the NBA because the, the recipe for firing coaches is not bad team playing bad. It's good team playing bad. That's that's how you get fired. You'll get let go in the offseason if you have a bad team playing bad. But 
when you have, you know, when the Rockets are where they are at that point in the season, that that's how you know someone's getting fired. Just looking around the NBA, I don't know if anyone else would be in danger. I mean, the Bucks are twelfth in the in the East, and they're supposed to be good. For some reason, I just can't see them firing kid. Not yet. I mean, his contract is up after this season. Him and Hammond both. So ownership will really get to choose if they want a new regime running things or not. But otherwise, I mean, I don't see – I mean, you look at uh, – uh, what's his name? Dwayne Casey over in Toronto. I mean, he's been on the hot seat for a few years, but the Raptors are 9-6. and six. Yeah, if they had started poorly, I could have seen him getting fired, but not yeah. now. The Suns, were, they were sort of in a, a, a position where Hornacek might be in danger. They're 7-7 seven and seven in the West, and their, their backcourt looks great with Knight and Bledsoe. I don't think he's in danger. Dave he Yeager worked. could have been in trouble yeah. if they had not turned it around, but I think he's safe at least through the end of the season unless they just nose dive. Yeah, I mean, they're 8-7 they're and seven now. They'll probably be their fifth seed now. That's why I see them shaking up to end things. Um, yeah, I don't know who else would really go. I mean, I think the Nuggets are committed to their coaching staff, and they're supposed to be bad anyway. Yeah, I like Mike Malone a lot. And did, I, Actually, did you see him? I think he got into it with Moutier on the bench. Yeah, last night or the night before. I don't know what was up with that. Maybe just a little heat of the moment type thing, but I wouldn't worry about it. I think he was a good coach, and he has them going in the right direction. So he's he's safe, especially because it's his first year there. Yeah, he is. They like him. He's a young coach. He's got a young team. I read about that that altercation. I read Moutier's take on it, and he just said, you know, Coach and I were just both real fiery. We both want to win, and we just got into it a little bit. Is There's nothing – there's no problem between us. It was just the, an in-game heat of the moment thing. So I, I definitely see him sticking around. I think I don't think it's deserved, but I, I think Carl's the most likely. Carl, maybe Byron, maybe Hollins. I don't yeah. know who else. Some, some team would have to nosedive without without an injury. I'm so glad it's not going to be the Hornets. Because nope, <laughs> nope, I was worried about that heading into the season. <laughs> that that would have been probably one of my picks earlier this season. Because I, I, I just did not see good. I didn't I didn't trust the, the quadruple white guy big man formula. I didn't think it would work out, but it has. That's the vanilla Thunder lineup, and we have yet to see that all at once because you don't play four yeah. guys over 6'10 in the NBA. But why Why shouldn't you? Come yeah. on. Yeah, who doesn't want to see Tyler Hansborough at shooting guard? He's like if you locked a puppy in a closet <laughs> for 24 hours and then threw him into a room – with a bunch of people, and he's just running around knocking everybody over. That's how Tyler Hansborough <laughs> plays basketball. And it, it's not pretty to watch, but he's on my team now. So when he's in there, I just have to give one one firm clap <laughs> and let him do his thing. One firm clap. They call him Psycho T for a reason, and that's the reason. That is the reason. He's he's a nut. We're about ready to go here. Um but first, just because I've loved these analogies so much, if 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 Psycho T is like a, a, a chihuahua let loose in a room of, of people, what are the Bucks like this season? I want a good Southern analogy here. I'm putting you on the spot. Well, funny enough you should ask this. Okay. I have two basset hounds, and they're right now they're laying in the sun, and so I get home from doing something. I park my car, and they kind of look up, and they kind of amble over to me, and then they just stop. And that's my impression of the Bucks closing out on three-point shooters. 
because that's what it feels like. Like, I don't know if it's an effort thing or if it's just like, oh, our rotations are too slow. I just don't know what it is. And it, maybe that's just because I've watched 10 games and, or 14 games in two weeks. So it's all fresh in my mind. Maybe it's confirmation bias. I think they're poorly defending three-point line. So I assume they are, even if it's more like a normal league average number. But it just feels like that's one of the keys to their poor defense right now. So they're not they're not closing out on shooters and their rotations are slow. So Basset Hounds. Uh, uh, slowly ambling Basset Hounds who give up is the Milwaukee Bucks. I love it. That was perfect. That is the best possible thing I could have hoped for to happen to, to end this right here. Bef- before we go, don't we have to talk about one more thing is our both, our love and our sadness for the end of Grantland. Oh yeah, you're right. That, that was, I haven't talked about this anywhere. Pub- I mean, I probably tweeted about it, but no one cares. That was one probably the saddest sports journalism thing. I mean, the only bright part is now Bill Simmons is just unleashed and doing his own thing over at BSPN, which is incredible. Yeah, that has been great. I mean, if if Grantland never existed, I probably never would write about basketball in my free time or be as obsessed with it as I am. And I also love, obviously, like I've mentioned, music and movies and television shows. So they had a whole stable of writers that I – just love to read and now it's gone so i thank them for their time in the internet universe and it's kind of a bummer that smart weird well-written takes on things doesn't have a place at espn yeah it's it's very much a bummer Uh, i can definitively say i would not be writing probably yeah i I don't think i'd be writing anywhere if it wasn't for ground i mean it was I started reading Simmons's columns there and then I got in the low and I was like, this is, this is not just like an occupation. This is an art writing about basketball or sports or pop culture. Those guys took it above and beyond just like filling up space on a newspaper column. They made, they made it something else. And they're certainly not the only ones to do that. There's, there's been others. There will be others, especially now that all those talented writers are at other places. But I think it was the first mega collection of that widely available to everyone who didn't have a, a magazine subscription or anything like that. You could just go read it. And I think it, it, it changed a lot of things that we might not even have a grasp on right now. So thank you to Grantland for making this possible, this podcast. Yes, indeed. I think that's all we have for today. And unless Andrew wants to just throw another curveball at me and make me remember another fallen, a fallen friend in Grantland. No, I think I've, uh, I think I've blathered enough for one day. I think the people need a break from me, but I'm sure, I'm sure my twang will be back on the internet airwaves at some point. Oh yeah, we got to bring it back. The twang was excellent. Uh, that's the only rule of this podcast is you got to give the people what they want. So if they want us to shut up, I guess we'll have to. Uh, this was Time Out with Ty, episode three. Um, thanks again to Andrew for coming on. It was a great great twang fest to introduce the people to uh what was it carolinian is that what it is a, a north carolinian is a how north, we describe a ourselves Car- a north carolinian perspective on on the bucks and other basketball things and rap um huge thanks to joey burbs for doing the intro music to this podcast he just dropped a great music video called reggie miller he's i think he just dropped a an entire ep too it's available on soundcloud uh, you can find that shared 10,000 times on my Twitter because it's all excellent. I'd recommend if you like rap music or great people or love 
to check out Joey Burbs. That's my plug for today. Also, check out all the great stuff we have at our site, Behind the Buck Pass. Um, go read Andrew's new article that we'll post yesterday when this podcast goes up. It'll, it'll be up. We'll, we'll probably link to it. It might be a Thanksgiving Day post. I need to work yeah. on some things, find some good video clips. It might be a Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, so that'll be this will post Friday, so it'll be the day before. Oh, okay. Yeah, we're good. Friday. Yeah, we're My good. Bad. So come check out all our content. Follow us on Twitter. Follow me at Ty Windish. Follow at Behind the Bucks. And Andrew, your your Twitter is A Snide. It or A C. A C S N Y D E. S N Y D E. Is there any numbers or is that it? That's it. That's it. Go follow Ace Knight on Twitter. That's all we got this week. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And thanks, Andrew. My pleasure. It's a beautiful day. Say what you need to say. And I can lead the way before they slip away. Before they slip away. da 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 da